Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Block. This week on The West Block, Canada's rescue mission is over, but thousands of Afghans who back the West have been left behind, targeted by terrorists and on Taliban hit lists. What will Canada do to help them? Our engagement with Afghanistan is not done. Anger on the campaign trail. Safety concerns cancel a Liberal rally in Ontario. Plus, a change in momentum. Aaron O'Toole would rip up our $10 a day childcare agreement. This is Canada's recovery plan. This is a roadmap back to unity. The Liberal lead gone, now neck and neck with the Conservatives. And our political panel weighs in with this week's winners and losers. This is the West Block on day 15 of the election campaign. Canada's air evacuation from Afghanistan is over. Canadian officials say 3,700 people were rescued from the Kabul airport by Canadian and allied aircraft. We spoke to one Afghan interpreter on the show last week. He was desperate to get his family on one of those flights. Everybody wants to get in soon. That is Maroof, who waited in dangerous conditions in the sewage canal outside the airport, trying to get in. He left not long before the deadly suicide bombing at that very same location. Maroof did not get on a plane. He was not able to get out, and he says he feels abandoned by the country that he helped for so many years. Anybody who is responsible, please give me information what to do. The process will start again or not. For God's sake, to help us. We can't go back to our homes. The money that we had, we spent all in here. The money is not the problem. The life is the most important. And we, we don't have any hopes for our lives that we will be alive or dead. So please help us, all the Canadian bosses, ministers, Anybody who is responsible for this process, don't leave us behind. For more on this story, I'm joined by Foreign Affairs Minister Mark Garneau. Thank you so much for making time for us today, Minister. Uh, we just heard from Maroof. He worked for the Canadian Special Forces as an interpreter. He is begging the Canadian government to do more. We have heard from hundreds of others like him. What are you offering to people like Maroof in terms of concrete support? I know you're asking people not to lose hope, but what measures is the Canadian government taking for those who are still on the ground in Afghanistan? So it's a very good question. Uh, the first thing is we're trying to establish contact and in order to maintain that contact as we move forward. And we're going to be doing everything possible that we can to get remaining Canadian citizens, permanent residents, and vulnerable Afghans, such as interpreters and their families, uh, out of Afghanistan. And that is our number one objective in this phase two, if you like, of the program. And so it's important for us to be in constant communication with them. The very first thing that uh, we are doing multilaterally with many countries is negotiating with the Taliban. That is happening in the days ahead of us. And a priority demand, in fact, it's the number one demand, is that they allow safe passage of Afghans out of the country. Uh, that is something that everybody agrees with and that we will be uh, establishing as a demand on the 
on the Taliban as we move forward. We don't know how they're going to react to that, but that is a, a primary uh, focus uh, in the days to come in speaking with the Taliban. The second thing is that we are also, uh, in this case, it's Qatar and Turkey, are negotiating with the Taliban to keep the airport open and to return it to a normal commercial operation after the military evacuations have completed. And there's very compelling reasons for them to do it. First of all, humanitarian aid. Canada, for example, announced $50 million in humanitarian aid last week. And secondly, to allow people to come in and out of this landlocked country. So if the airport becomes available again for commercial operations, that will be a, an extremely important uh, uh, point of entry and, and exit. So those are two very important things that may help uh, for us to get in the coming weeks and months uh, the people that we want out of the country, out of the country. Uh, Minister, as you know, Canadian veterans groups who worked so closely with these Afghan interpreters have been doing just incredible work to try to track them, protect them, establishing safe houses, paying for them to stay there because they've left their homes and, and they have nothing. It, will the Canadian government consider or commit to helping to fund some of these charitable organizations that are on the ground or veterans networks that are operating to keep people safe and, for example, provide funding to help interpreters stay safe in these safe houses? So I can't answer right now, but I think that, first of all, I want to say how much uh, we have admired and uh, and uh, have been thankful for the work that has been done by these veteran networks uh, to try to help, in some cases, by being there uh, to, to uh, bring back interpreters. Obviously, people who worked for our Canadian military at a very important time and that we all are determined to bring back to the country. So uh, this is a possibility. I can't I can't answer that uh, uh, sort of on the spot here, but it is something that we certainly recognize as having been a very, very important uh, role during uh, during the past uh, months. Uh, let me say we did get 3,700 people out. Obviously, we didn't get everybody out uh, and we have to continue to do it. And it's the same thing with the 13 countries really that uh, operated the air bridge. The reason they were there is because they wanted to get more people out and all of them uh, still have more people to get out. So we're all in the same boat in that respect. And I wish it's heartbreaking that we weren't able to get everybody out, but we are going to continue and we're not going to give up until we do get them out. Canada did close our embassy uh, a couple of weeks ago. In fact, the morning that your government was triggering an election, Canadian embassy staff were being evacuated out of Kabul. The Americans didn't close their embassy. The Brits didn't close their embassy. Other countries did not close their embassy. They remained behind to help facilitate citizens getting out and Afghans. Some are suggesting the lack of Canadian personnel on the ground complicated things for us. Why did you make the decision to remove all embassy staff from Afghanistan? So let me answer that question by saying I have an obligation uh, to the ambassadors who operate in different countries uh, to uh, hear them when they say that they have a serious concern from a security point of view for their staff and that they recommend that evacuation take place. And uh, that is exactly the decision that was taken uh, by myself uh, and my deputy minister to evacuate them uh, at the time. Remember, at that time, uh, the Taliban were rushing and imminently coming into uh, to, to Kabul, and nobody knew exactly what was going to happen. Now, the other thing is, when we look at the Americans who had a huge embassy, they were able to relocate a portion of that 
at the airport, as the British were able to do, because they had some facilities that they were able to control at the airport. We did not have that capability. And so what happened was that we did initially evacuate everybody, but then we brought back about 70 military, some of my staff and some of the IRCC staff to help with the processing of people to get them out of the country. And as I say, we, we were successful in getting uh, about 3,700 out of the country. And, and uh, I think that we were able to do that processing um, because of our presence there. We are, of course, in an election, which means you're juggling re-election with also being the Minister of Foreign Affairs at this time. Some have suggested that perhaps part of the reason Canada removed staff and didn't take as aggressive, for example, special operations missions as other countries was fear of political risk if something were to happen on the ground in the election. Is there any truth to that, Minister? So uh, two things here. First of all, our special forces were there and did go outside the uh, perimeter of the airport. And secondly, uh, I want to put that myth to bed about how uh, we have been focused away because of an, uh, an election. I can tell you that uh, the ministers involved, all the necessary ministers involved, have been completely focused on the main issue. Uh, which is Afghanistan. I'm the foreign affairs minister. That is my main responsibility. And I can assure you that all of my department has been working completely nonstop on this particular issue. And the same thing with Minister uh, Sajjan at DND and the same with Minister Mendicino at Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship. So there has been no lack or di uh, diminishment of resources put on Afghanistan, even though we may be on an election. For, for us, this election is completely secondary to our main responsibility. And I'm very proud as foreign minister that I have been able to uh, focus entirely on Afghanistan. Oh, we just have about 30 seconds left, but your government has talked about bringing more than the 20,000 refugees you've committed to. Have, are you able to tell us how many more refugees beyond that you will bring in at this point from Afghanistan? So we have said an initial 20,000, and uh, but the need is greater. I won't speculate on, on, on what that will mean in the end, but Canada really wants to help. Minister, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Mercedes. An event for Liberal leader Justin Trudeau in Bolton, Ontario, was cancelled on Friday due to security concerns. Trudeau's campaign has been targeted by protesters at multiple campaign stops. But the protests have grown and become more aggressive. Trudeau says he understands people are frustrated and angry in the pandemic, but that this is different. I've never seen this intensity of anger on the campaign trail or in Canada. Joining me now is the West Bloc's political panel, former Saskatchewan Premier Brad Wall and Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Independent former MP Selena Caesar-Siobhan has been unable to join us at the last moment, unfortunately, due to some technical issues. Thank you both for joining us today. Uh, you know, watching that visual, you see lots of people angry, lots of people yelling. Protests are not uncommon. The way that these protests are unfolding, though, and the fact that we actually had an event canceled because of a security concern is very, very unusual in Canadian politics. I can't remember seeing an event actually canceled on the federal level. What are your thoughts on, on what we saw go down on Friday, Brad? Well, it's, it's clear that the pandemic has got uh, Canadian society, Canadian people even more polarized and polarized and 
and and willing to to act on the edge of that polarity, uh, and that's what we saw unfold in those in those protests. I guess uh, I think that's still a pretty generous way to describe them. Um, you know, there's there's pro- there's no doubt that some of that is perhaps the product of organization. Uh, but either way, if uh, those protesters, if if the result that they want from this election. Uh, is change if they have obviously they don't want this, the the prime minister to serve in that capacity after the 20th of September. Their their efforts are very counterproductive. Uh, I think the prime minister probably had one of his best moments, or maybe the best moment since the uh, since he called this election two weeks ago in responding to uh, to the protesters. Uh, and um, there are certain things that I think all Canadians, those that are those that have made up their mind and those that are still making up their mind, find abhorrent. Uh, and um, I think uh, the example of those protests of people shouting expletives in, uh, in the company of young kids at the prime minister is uh, they would be top on that list of things that Canadians would find abhorrent and they would want to disassociate or distance themselves, most Canadians, from that kind of activity. Uh, Nahad, you know, you heard Brad say there, your protesters kind of, if you can call them that, there's been some question about who these people are, because we've we've spotted at least one person who's the same person at a couple of rallies. They're very organized, similar slogans, similar manner of dress, uh, showing up at the last minute, last minute flights for people who are traveling from one location to another, not cheap. Um, And some are wondering, is this organized? Are these people being paid and by who? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I mean, of course, it's organized and it's been going on for a long time. So, yes, it's certainly gotten worse during the pandemic. Remember the yellow vest protests uh, that started long before the pandemic? Uh, it has gotten incredibly extreme. Uh, I myself uh, have had to change the way that I live my life, um, which is really frustrating to me. Uh, certainly, you're hearing horrible things being said. Our council unanimously condemned the use of racist language and imagery and white supremacist language at the protests that were happening here at City Hall. These are very, very troubling times. And here's the thing. It's not going away. You know, here in Alberta, we have a conservative premier and he is as much of the target of the protests as I am. I just get the racialized stuff on top of it. And so ultimately, we got to come to terms with this and we've got to really, in my opinion, of course, value the right of everyone to express their opinion, but also draw a line as good, decent people on what is decent behavior in our community. And we're just not seeing that with these protests. Uh, Mary, you said, you know, you've actually had to change your life because of some of this. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's been like? You know, one of the great things about being the mayor of this city is I get to experience my city. Uh, You know, uh, without getting into all of the details, uh, I can go places on my own. I can go grocery shopping. I don't have a security cordon around me all the time. And now, if I want to go to the A&W for lunch, i got to kind of see what's going on in the park between me and the A&W first. Uh, And that's, for me, frustrating. But for the 16-year-old girl in hijab who doesn't feel comfortable walking through that park anymore, it's an awful situation. Brad, when, when you look at this, um, you know, people look at the United States, and obviously we're not talking about the same level, not even close to what happened on, on Capitol Hill. But it started with the same kind of rhetoric. Are you worried about the direction that Canadian politics is going in? Could it be vulnerable to the same kind of extremist forces in the U.S.? And, and what should political leaders of all stripes be doing and saying at this time? I think political leaders need to call it out. 
uh, I think uh, here in the media over the weekend on yesterday and Saturday, I think a conservative candidate recognized some of his uh, volunteers. Uh, I, I believe that was the situation who were at that particular protest and basically uh, indicated to them that they're no longer welcome on the campaign. I think that's the kind of thing we need to have to do. I think it has to happen. You'll, you'll get this sort of thing on both ends of, of, of the spectrum uh, and um, the extreme ends, granted. Uh, and so I think it's, it's incumbent upon those who are candidates, those who are leaders uh, of the political parties to call it out uh, and uh, in, in maybe to speak in very practical terms to the, to the type of folks that were there uh, they're doing what they were doing at the prime minister's event, which is to say, if you, if you want him to be defeated in September, uh, you're, this is very counterproductive uh, because, um, uh, it, you know, to the extent that somebody might be uh, thinking about voting for O'Toole, uh, but wondering at the back of their mind if this is the sorts of things that a vote like that associates with, it's not helpful. And uh, in, in never mind all of the, that's a very sort of perhaps, uh, you know, pragmatic reason to not, do it or to call it out. There's just uh, the, another much more compelling reason, which is the values that we, we want to, uh, to live uh, as individual citizens and uh, as a country uh, and, and call to people's uh, sense of that. But I do think it, political party, party leaders, candidates can be leaders in this respect. And, uh, and we've seen a little bit of it already. If I, if I can jump in there, I think we also have to make sure that we're taking responsibility for our own actions. And, you know, we have seen here in Alberta a couple of MPs, Michelle Rempel-Garner and Tim Upal, actually apologize for their conduct in the 2015 election around the niqab ban, around the barbaric cultural practices. There is a direct line to be drawn from that election in 2015 and what we deemed was acceptable to the kind of behavior that we're seeing right now. Meanwhile, my premier now says he was never in favor of a niqab ban. That's, that's not quite how I remember the history. I remember him going after me on Twitter for talking about how the niqab ban was a bad idea. And so ultimately we as political leaders, Brad's absolutely right, need to take responsibility, but we also need to take responsibility for our own actions. And we need to understand that laying down the breadcrumbs and blowing the dog whistles leads exactly to the kind of activity that we've been seeing. One of the things that we want to talk about today is the performance of the parties on the campaign trail, not just uh, the, the performance um, in terms of the actual whistle stops, which we've been watching, and that's what we were just talking about with protesters, but also the performance in terms of where they're at in the polls. Um, the Liberals had a significant lead going into this election. They've largely squandered it. It's it's disappeared. Now we're still early on. Uh, there, there hasn't been a lot of talk about a Liberal majority this week. People have been talking about can they hold on to their minority. Brad, what are your thoughts on how the parties are performing on the campaign trail? Well, interesting. The, uh, the discussion that we had last week about whether or not the lack of a compelling reason for an election campaign would have any legs, because I think early on it, it was, uh, it was a, a point of uh, a frustration for a lot of voters that the, that the prime minister failed to articulate a reason why we're having this election campaign. And then we had Saying branding it as a Trudeau selfish election, I think effectively, and uh, you know, there's been similar brands that have come up via social media and just discourse. I do think that particular issue has legs so long as the events that that were attendant to the election call, such as the uh, the tragedy that's unfolding, uh, that what's began to unfold uh, in earnest, I guess, and continue to now unfold in Afghanistan, continues. 
you know, in, in, a, in our election campaigns, we used to get ready for it as best we could get ready for a day that we call day 13. And that would be a day in the campaign where we were going to be knocked right off of whatever message we had for Saskatchewan people on that particular day. And we'd, it'll either have been something that self-inflicted that we had done or some external issue. And, that, and it's, it's strange to prepare for something, a contingency like that, but important to do it. Well, consider this for the federal liberals that every single day, and we, this week we saw it, whether it was the, the bombs that ISIS took credit for that took lives uh, near the airport or the comments by Minister Monsef with respect to, you know, referring to the Taliban as brothers, uh, whether you, uh, you know, agree on that latter one, especially or not, that's problematic. It did derail the liberals from whatever it is they wanted to be talking about in that campaign. They, they had a whole week of day 13s, I guess is my point. And that's, and that's what you can look forward to. If you, if the gamble was to recall this election, uh, even though Canadians don't think it's necessary, the minority's working well and there's not a compelling reason for it, but we're gonna call it because we want a majority. Well, then the risk is that that issue resurfaces again and again and again uh, as a result of external events happening and Canadians then asking themselves, why are we in this election right now when it wasn't right. necessary? And I think that's problematic. Because then again, as we said last week, it goes to values. It goes to people then wondering why, you know, what are the values of the prime minister? What were the reasons that he would do this save for, except for that he simply wanted a majority, even though the minority was working fine? That's going to be a problem. I think, in the uh, in the days ahead. Ned, we, we just have a few moments left, but I want to ask you top three issues you haven't heard, if you had to list them, on the campaign trail this week. Well, I'm super happy that we've started to hear about one of them, which is housing, and a much broader conversation about housing, not just housing affordability, but also homelessness is something that I hope comes up. We need to have a serious conversation about climate. Um, you know, in a, in a summer where Calgary's been covered in snow, there's been wildfires and drought. We need to really look at the climate policies of the party and see if they make sense. And, you know, certainly the CPC policy is interesting, but weird. And we need some scrutiny and we need to talk about it. And then the third thing I'll mention is the most fascinating thing about the election for me right now is this attempted rebrand by Mr. O'Toole of the Conservative Party into the party of workers and workers' rights. We've heard a bunch of stuff about workers sitting on boards of big companies, about protecting pensions. And yesterday or the day before, I heard Mr. O'Toole say the Conservatives will stand up to corporate Canada. That's quite the rebranding. Uh, and I think people would be right to be a bit skeptical of it, but it is a fascinating political move okay. that may underline to... a new form of conservatism going forward. We have to wrap it up there, but thank you both for joining us today. We'll see you again next week. Well, that's all for our show today on day 15 of the election campaign. I'm Mercedes Stevenson for The West Block. <laughs>